we saw in the latest LinkedIn workforce report that there's a 9% bump uh, over pre-pandemic levels. So that means that people are getting hired, but it also means that they're moving around quite a bit. And what we're finding is that people, like you said, are more comfortable sort of moving around and saying, hey, I want to maybe look for something new. Maybe they have a new mission in life. They want to try something new. They've always had that sort of burning desire to go into a new field, or they're sort of reaching and saying, you know, I can take a step up from where I am. So there's a lot of reasons that people are moving around and obviously companies are paying attention to that because we're seeing companies offer some new incentives we're seeing companies offer uh, things to attract workers so there's a whole lot going on and it's not just unique to the United States I think we're hearing a lot of the United States because you've scanned the headlines read the articles and liked the posts now listen to the experts themselves in the future of work podcast Presented by AllWork.Space. Are you ready? Hi, and welcome to the Future of Work podcast by AllWork.Space. I'm Ceci Amador de San Jose, and today I'm looking forward to chatting with Andrew Seaman about the skills gap, the skills shortage, and how companies are responding to these challenges. Andrew is the Senior News Editor for Job Searches and Careers at LinkedIn News. He is also the editor of the Get Hired and Get Ahead newsletters and the host of Get Hired Live. Andrew, welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Ceci. I have been looking forward to this conversation for a long time, I'm not going to lie. Um, and I think because this is a topic that has been kind of like trending for the past couple of years. And then the pandemic hit and everyone was like, I'm staying in my jobs. I know LinkedIn called it sheltering and job, but then people are now kind of more comfortable moving around. And I don't know, I wanted to ask you, what are some of the hiring trends that you're looking at right now? Um, I know that LinkedIn's July workforce report found that in the US national hiring was 9% above pre-pandemic levels in June, which is great news, I think. But then at the same time, I've seen like um, social media, Twitter, people saying that there are no jobs or great jobs. Um, what are companies saying? What, what's the overall feeling about hiring right now? Yeah, of course. And, and of course, thank you for having me. And I always love having these conversations. And like you said, so it, we saw in the latest LinkedIn workforce report that there's a 9% bump uh, over pre-pandemic levels. So that means that people are getting hired, but it also means that they're moving around quite a bit. And what we're finding is that people, like you said, are more comfortable sort of moving around and saying, hey, I want to maybe look for something new. Maybe they have a new mission in life. They want to try something new. They've always had that sort of burning desire to go into a new field, or they're sort of reaching and saying, you know, I can take a step up from where I am. So there's a lot of reasons that people are moving around and obviously companies are paying attention to that because we're seeing companies offer some new incentives we're seeing companies offer uh, things to attract workers so there's a whole lot going on and it's not just unique to the United States I think we're hearing a lot of the United States because the vaccine rollout has been quick here. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff that's still moving around because of the Delta variant and uneven vaccine uptake. But what we're seeing globally is that Microsoft, um, they did a survey and I think it was 31,000 global workers and 41% said that they had planned 
to maybe leave their current employer by the end of the year. So I that's not that a definite. Yeah. So that's not a definite, but um, they're definitely considering it. And I think that shows us that there's quite a few people who are saying, you know, I, I, I might be able to move around because I think during the pandemic, a lot of people, they were forced out of jobs. But if they weren't, like you said, we use the term sheltering in job, which means that they sort of hang around and say, okay, I, I'm not going to get laid off and I don't want to quit because things might not be safe out there for me to get a new job. And I might take a lower salary if I do. So now as things open up, they're sort of saying, oh, I have a brighter future. There's better opportunities out there. Let me see what's there. Okay. So what, based on what you're saying, companies are taking notice of this and they're offering you incentives to attract talent. And I'm assuming they're also implementing new policies to retain talent. What are some of these new incentives that, that you've observed? The biggest thing is flexible work policies. So uh, I know I've done some polls on my LinkedIn profile, and there's obviously been a, done, a ton of other research out there. And basically, the number one thing people say they want are flexible work policies. So that doesn't mean that they want to only work from home or only want to work in the office. They just want the option to have the choice. And maybe they want to move somewhere else in the country. I know I heard from a lot of people who want to move closer to their families. And sometimes that means that they need to work in a different state than most of their coworkers. So a lot of companies, they re are realizing that, you know, this is what they're going to have to offer. And I'm hearing from recruiters and benefits managers that that is going to be really a bargaining chip. So it's not just that, like, people are going to say, hey, do you want to um, you know, have the option to work two days or three days a week from home, it's going to be, you know, do you want to move to Montana? Do you want to move to a new country? Something like that, maybe um, from New York City or some of these other places. So I, I think there's a realization that that's going to have to be offered. And obviously, that is a job dependent um, perk, yeah. because, you know, you can't necessarily be a hospital worker and work remotely, and you can't do some jobs remotely. Um, and then there's going to be a lot on well-being, because I think there's still a lot of trauma um, left over from the, the heart of the pandemic. And, you know, in a lot of places, uh, the pandemic will worsen, um, probably in, in the coming months. So there is still a lot of unease among people. There's a lot of anxiety and companies, I think they recognize that. And during the pandemic, we saw more and more of them offering, uh, psychological help, help with stress and things like that. Uh, yeah, I, I totally agree. I've been, um, focusing a lot on wellness uh, recently writing and it's surprising how much increase in stress, burnout, depression. I mean, the pandemic had a really big toll and not just on our professional lives, but personal lives. I mean, people were either isolated alone or stuck at home with everyone and that can create a lot of stress. <laughs> so I think it's great that companies are taking notice of this. Um, and I like that. I feel like employees have a lot of the leverage right now compared to, I mean, pre-pandemic and in other eras where the employers were the ones that held most of the power. And I feel like people are realizing that they can, I mean, if we all gather together and join forces, we can actually ask companies to provide what, what we need from them to actually perform our best. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons I think that employees now hold the leverage is because there's been a lot of talk around a skills shortage and the numbers are outstanding. And I wanted to ask you, 
do you think the skills shortage actually exists? Are you seeing companies are having a hard time filling in certain positions? And is, is that impacting the way they attract, they hire, and the incentives they offer to get employees to stay with them? Definitely. So I think what we saw over the pandemic, at least on LinkedIn side, is that there were people who, um, you know, they were wanting to quickly skill up. So when they were laid off, they realized that, oh, to survive in their field or to maybe go into the field that they want, they really had to work on their skills. So I always like to pe tell people their baskets of skills. So even if you worked, um, like, a, you know, I, I'm trained in traditional journalism and worked in traditional newsrooms, but I came to tech and there are some things that I had to learn. There are some things that I had to grow in. And I think a lot of people during the pandemic realized that too. And, you know, I heard from a lot of people who said, hey, listen, I've been in my field for 15, 20 years and things have changed. And, you know, because of their job, they were allowed to sort of not grow as much because they were in a, a job for a long time. They would level up a little bit, but they didn't have to learn necessarily the new technology or all the new stuff um, because they had other coworkers that could do that. So they found to be competitive, they had to learn. So there's definitely a skills gap. And I think what we also found is that there were always going to be skill gaps, but the pandemic exacerbated that. So, you know, there was always, um, you know, a need for nurses and healthcare and things like that. And then in technology. So one of the things that I think we saw uh, during the pandemic was there was already a need for people in the technology space, but then you had all these people working remotely, which was putting a strain on systems and there needed to be new solutions for online learning and to have meetings and conversations like that. And that all takes talent and special talent. So um, that demand grew really quickly and we're seeing companies sort of meet that demand. So there's a lot of companies that offer special trainings for people. I know Amazon, they're offering some sort of program for people who want to maybe, maybe they're in the warehouse right now, but they want to transfer to tech or maybe they want to go into engineering or something like that. And then there are other companies. I know Cisco has sort of certification program. Google has one. Amazon also has like a certification program that you could do. So there are a lot of companies that are basically saying, hey, we need to step up here. Otherwise, we're going to have a hard time finding, finding talent. And they are. And Amazon, they're also doing this really interesting thing where basically they're letting engineers and software engineers um, do a basic interview process. So do the interview process that they've always had, had done, but at the end of it, they kind of pick their own job. So they get a selection of jobs to choose from and the hiring managers basically have to pitch them and say, hey, you should join my team because of X, Y, and Z. And then the engineers basically say, I wanna go to that place, not not the other job. So like there's a basically there, there's some industries, there's some skills that people are just throwing incentives at them to get them to stay. So we are going to see that grow because it obviously takes time to skill people. And so not only it takes time to skill people, Andrew, but I think that changes are happening happening so rapidly right now, it can be a little bit overwhelming. I know on the marketing side of things like I got a certification a couple of years ago and I was like, yes, I know this. And then not like six months later, Google changed their algorithms and everything was different. <laughs> I'm like, I need to stay on top of this. And then on top of all the work. So I think it's great that companies are starting to realize that they need to provide these learning and reskilling opportunities. More importantly, I think that they need to allow employees to 
take those courses um, during their work time. Um, I mean, people have a lot going on outside of work. And if we expect people to upskill themselves, I feel like it's not going to happen as quickly as we need it to. And, and I know the pandemic was maybe a different scenario because people, I mean, we, people, people couldn't go to the gym, to the spa, to eat at restaurants. So we had a lot of time on our hands. So a lot <laughs> of people turned that turned to, I mean, I might as well just make the best of it and, and study and register on courses and get certifications. But as we go back into, I mean, and I hate saying back to normal, I think there is no going back to normal, but as mm -hmm. people head back to the office and things return to kind of like a more normal pace of business, <laughs> I think that's going to change. And I think that companies really do need to prioritize reskilling and upskilling opportunities within their organizations uh, during work time and kind of like facilitating, making it easy for people to access the right resources and tools that they need to do this. Yeah, and I, I think we will see more of that because I think they see value in retaining existing workers. There are, there's going to have to be a choice made at employers who maybe their their employee says, "Hey, I think I can go to a competitor and get a job there," and then they they get that offer, they come back. So employers will have to make the choice of: Are they going to keep these workers? Are they going to retain them? Um, if they do retain them, are they going to offer them more skills, so maybe a chance to grow. And I've heard from a few people who say they do want that. They want that career development. So it's, it goes beyond just the opportunity to be at a job and hold that job. They want to be able to grow in it. Um, and I think there's increasing recognition because of the pandemic and because of the position people found themselves in that they want to have that um, ability to sort of keep up um, during their job. So I think you're right that people are going to want to sort of bake that into their positions. And then, so that's on the skills side of thing that there are some missing skills. There are some gaps that currently exist, but I read on one of LinkedIn's reports that sometimes it's more of a signaling issue that people do have the skills, but they're not necessarily listing them or effectively communicating that they have those skills. Um, do you think that is still an issue? Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of people, they're, it's difficult for them to judge what they're good at. So one good thing, and, and I think that's just sort of, you know, the case, it's hard to be a judge of your own skill. I, I know a lot of yeah. people, they like to say, you know, I'm, you know, focus on excellence, be, be great and things like that. But it's really difficult for people to say, am I good at this? Am I good at that? And I think we look for affirmation when we are trying to decide that. So if someone says, hey, you're really good at math and other people say that, maybe you are good at math. So maybe, you know, that shows that that is the skill you have, or maybe you're really good at conflict resolution among friends and you are really good at sort of sorting things out. And I think we, you know, within our friend group, or people we've encountered over the years, we know that some people have these abilities and say, hey, you're really good at that or really good at this, but it's not necessarily something that person would say, hey, this is my skill or I have this. So I think there are a lot of people who, you know, they do have that, that um, issue where they don't know what they are actually good at. So there are a lot of good, there are a lot of good tests out there that you could do to take skill, skill tests to see if you are good at certain things. Um, they might be hit or miss whether they're actually um, useful to a person, but you know, they do exist. And I think 
a lot of times just having a conversation with someone to say, hey, you know, what are my strengths or what am I good at? What do you think I can improve at? Um, and go to people that you think will be fair, obviously. Um, but I think that could help you grow a lot. And, you know, even during the pandemic, when people said, I don't know what kind of courses to take online during, you know, my job search or what will be a most used to to me, it really comes down to just having those conversations and saying, what am I good at? What do I need work on? Or what do I have to do to get to the next level in my career? Um, and hopefully people sort of, I, I'm hoping that people took the pandemic to have that learning experience to say like, okay, this is how I do this. This is how I navigate my career. And this is how I grow. And I, I'm hopeful that that's the case because we are seeing so much movement in the labor market and where people are going that I, I, I think you can only do that if you're more sure-footed. I, I agree. And speaking about a lot of movement in the labor market, um, are there any specific roles or skills that you have noticed that companies are having the hardest time finding the right talent for? Yeah. Yes. So I think there's a few that, like I said, they were, they were short, there were shortages before the pandemic and then the pandemic exacerbates them. So yeah. healthcare and tech are, are going to be up on that list just automatically. Um, something that popped up that wasn't surprising on one of our lists was financial consultants, analysts, oh, wow. and people who work in finance. Um, but it actually makes sense because what you find is that people, they're in sort of precarious financial situations. A lot of people drain their savings to withstand and weather the pandemic. So if they were out of work, maybe they had a few months of savings built up and they had to go through that. Um, so I think between last year and this year, we saw almost a 250% increase in uh, demand for financial advisors. And um, so these are people who they might be counseling someone for a loan. They might be helping uh, someone sort some stuff out financially. So it does make intuitive sense that that would be the case. Uh, we obviously saw a huge increase in retail sales needs um, because I think everyone saw the death of retail at the start of the pandemic and during the pandemic, but people still need to buy things and people need to buy things online. So we also saw a big jump in e-commerce retail um, and just e-commerce overall because you still need people to get things. So, so that was also a big increase. And then we saw, um, you know, people who were doing product design because we saw a lot of companies who had to move online very quickly. So maybe they didn't have um, a good app in place. Maybe they didn't have a good online presence. So they need someone to sort of translate their business online. So that's another tech role that we saw really grow. And then, um, you know, we also saw um, people in sales who they are being sort of brought back to get businesses up to speed or as businesses sort of get their wheels turning again. You need people to get those goods out there. So really across the spectrum of skill and professions and industries, we're seeing, um, you know, things that are in demand and, and things that and p professions that people may say, oh, that's probably not a big demand right now. And I think obviously, you know, in the United States, at least people who work in the service sector. So, um, you know, restaurants, bars, hotels, places like that are sort of throwing money at people saying, hey, please come work here. We'll give you, um, you know, a $500 signing bonus. We just need workers. And, and I've seen a few restaurants that actually closed down 
um, a few days a week now because they don't have the workers to do a seven day opening. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of jobs out there and I'm, I'm sort of surprised how quickly things bounce back. Uh, yeah, but speaking about, and you mentioned the uh, service industry, why do you think restaurants um, are having a harder time finding workers? I think there is data to show that um, pay is increasing in the service industry, but it's not necessarily keeping up with people's yeah. demand. So, you know, there were there was that movement, there was that idea that, hey, I don't want to necessarily work in customer service anymore. I don't want to work in a restaurant. I don't want to work at a bar. And they're hard jobs. And, you know, these are people who don't get paid much and they are dealing with customers. They're dealing with customer complaints. And it's just, it's a hard job. Like I used to work at a retail store a long time ago and you know the i enjoyed it but the memories that stick out are the problematic customers or the customers that would sort of be relentless and complaining about something you had no control over um so it's a difficult job and people say if i'm going to do that it needs to be worth my while so i think there's a lot of people who say i would rather go into sales in an office or maybe human resources if they have really good people skills um, we're seeing some movement in those directions and the pay can be a little bit better it may not be as like taxing you don't have to keep Keep running around. You could just be at a desk in some cases, or you could even work from home. Um, so I think you know it's that pay hasn't met um, the willingness of people to return to those jobs. So basically, it's people that say you know they want a better work-life balance. They want a better work environment. Um, so until we see sort of wages or pay for people in the service industry increase, um, I think there will probably be struggle in in those areas or um they may turn to younger workers to fill those roles so i think it's um there's also been some data to show it's a really good year for for um young workers and getting their summer jobs <laughs> <laughs> i mean especially so not only to pay back but i think if you add to the pandemic to all of this i mean these are customer facing positions where you have to interact with a lot of people on a regular yeah. basis. And I mean, I feel like, well, there are definitely some people that are fully comfortable now going out and going on about their lives as if the pandemic is fully over. I feel like there's still a significant percent of people that are somewhat anxious, especially now with the Delta variant kind of like ramping up. So I agree that the pay will definitely need to to increase or they will have to figure some other creative way to, to attract service workers. Yeah, definitely. And you were talking about a lot of people shifting from service um, to sales, HR. What are some of the skills there that overlap? I know there's been a lot of talk about soft skills being super important in the future. And I think the pandemic with remote teams, it came to show that soft skills really need to be honed in for remote and distributed teams to collaborate effectively. So what are some of the the skills there that you think um, are kind of like people and companies are looking for the most right now? Definitely. So soft skills, you're right, are always going to be in demand, even as, you know, there's always the concern that robots are going to take jobs. <laughs> and a good example of this is if you go to a supermarket and they have the automated checkouts where you go and you scan your own items, you always have that person there who has to jump in to help you or to sort of troubleshoot issues. And then the other day I went to a networking event 
Um, it was my first networking event since the pandemic began. And um, I, it was at, on a rooftop at a hotel and the hotel was sort of a budget hotel. So everyone had to check themselves in if you were a guest. And what I noticed that there were still two people in the lobby who were helping people work the computers. And I think that's an example of why soft skills shine is because even if you have the technology where people can check themselves in, that will work for some people, but some people they're gonna run into issues. Maybe the screen doesn't work, the touch screen, maybe uh, you know the reservation won't get pulled up or something. <laughs> so you need someone who has those soft skills. And for people who maybe don't know what those are, the soft skills are things that are human, innate or innately human where yeah. you, know, you can't really learn it. Um, it's something where maybe you're a good communicator, you can, um, improve those skills, um, but it's not something where you have to sit down and learn a math equation, or you don't have to learn to code, or you don't have to learn how to do a specific process. So even if you're cooking in the kitchen, you know it takes a certain skill to cook an egg, and that would be a hard skill because you have to learn that. But a soft skill is something where you can sort of manage the kitchen. Um, that that is sort of uh, the difference between soft and hard skills. So soft skills are always going to be in demand, even if we have sort of the robots taking over. Um, and I think communication and sales, um, you know, um, interpersonal communication, that's why we're seeing people who maybe worked in service industries and restaurants and bars move into those positions because they can relate to people. They can talk to people about their troubles or they can listen empathetically. And that's all very important there. And then when it comes to sort of hard skills, you know, we're always looking for, um, you know, as a workforce, like I said, software engineers, we're looking for people who um, can work in healthcare environments. So those are hard skills. You know, if there is coding involved, if there's um, nursing, things like that, those take special training. Um, um, project management is always a big one. Um, but then there's also people, um, um, we're when it comes to logistics and operations, you need drivers, you need people who are, you know, getting goods from e-commerce sites to homes. And there's this big push in the e-commerce space called the last mile. And basically, um, that is when you order something online. Uh, it's very easy for companies to get something from a warehouse to a regional hub, but how do you get it from a regional hub to someone's house? And that's where it takes a, really a lot of person power to do that. You either need a robot to fly it there by drone, which isn't there yet, or you need someone to put it on a truck and drive it there. And so you need someone who has the skill to do that, who can sort of work with the technology to tell them where to go. Um, so we're seeing everything from, you know, things that are highly skilled in terms of needing um, a degree or special certification to say, I am a software developer to everything from a, um, you know, frontline customer associate who needs that interpersonal soft skills to someone who can maybe have, uh, who's good at driving. Um, so there, it, there's a broad spectrum of what skills are actually needed. Um, and then obviously healthcare. So, so there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot of opportunity there and a lot of skills in demand. And then are you seeing companies now are hiring more for skill or for culture fit? I know this has been a big debate over time whether you hire someone for their skills only, whether they're a good culture fit. And I know that for remote teams, it's increasingly important for someone to fit with a company's culture. But then if you add the skill shortage to this, how, how do companies balance this? Are you seeing them leaning towards more culture fit, more skills? 
Um, what are you I think observing? it depends on the I think it depends on the position. So I haven't seen any hard evidence of any movement in one direction or the other. I would say for certain positions where a company has to hire in mass, you know, they're not going to spend a lot of time looking for fit. Um, <laughs> in some cases, we saw companies, you know, that was sort of like, um, you know, apply today, start today. Um, especially in the service industry for customer service and, and things like that. So they're not necessarily going to be looking like, do you get along with people? We're gonna have a bunch of interviews with you just to make sure that you get along with your coworkers. That's not really in the cards for those positions. Um, it may be a factor later on, um, but I think you'll see that more for positions where there's more recruitment involved, where there's more emphasis and you're going to be talking to more people. Um, but even there, it's probably going to be less of an issue if you, um, are gonna be working from home most of the time. And also I think there's been an increasing realization that there that could be problematic to um, you know, hire for fit. Um, so it's fine to take culture into consideration when hiring, but it can um, sort of exacerbate existing um, gaps in diversity. It can often hinder people who are neuro neurodiverse in getting hired and things like that. Um, so I think companies are becoming more cognizant of the fact that they don't, that culture is part of the equation, but it's not as big a part of the equation as they thought it would be. Awesome. Andrea, and we're almost running out of time here. So before we leave, I wanted to ask you, what are some tips that job searchers can implement to improve their chances of getting hired? And then on the other side, what are some things companies can do to make sure that they are wooing the right talent and attracting them enough to for them to say, hey, okay, I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to go with you. Yeah, well, I think the first thing for job seekers is to, I always tell them take a pause. Um, and so I think there's there's always this idea when you're a job seeker, especially if you're laid off or you find yourself job seeking without notice. So this isn't something that you've chosen yourself where you just have to get out there and start applying. And really what that means is that if you do that, you really, most people, they don't have their resume ready. They don't have cover letters ready and they just start sending out a mass and the, return rate on doing that is usually much smaller than if you do a more thoughtful approach to job seeking. So I always suggest people take a pause and get their materials ready. So do your resume, do your cover letters, and then really have a targeted job search. So say, this is what I want to do. Um, because if you are going after a job that's more high level than what you were doing, or if you're looking to take a step up in the, your career, um, it doesn't sound good from an employer side if you're just sort of like, I want a job instead of I want this job. You need to explain why you want this job. Um, and they want to know that you're part of the team and you're going to help them accomplish their company's mission and also solve their problems. So take that pause, figure out what you want to do, where you want to work and get your materials ready. Um, so with your resume, you don't have to focus too much on the format or the style or anything like that. Even a basic resume is good. Just make sure you have the content on there um, because flashy graphics and colors are not going to get you hired. 
it's what you've done and it's how you sort of present it to them in terms of this is the information you need to know that I'm the right person for you. Um, so that's really with the resume. And then always be connecting. So whether you're a job seeker or you're not actively looking right now, always be trying to grow your professional relationships or just touch base with people that you've come in contact with over the years. Maybe high school classmates or college classmates, um, they're a great place to start. Or maybe old coworkers, just touch, and, touch base with them every once in a while. Um, and then during your search, um, you know, make sure that you're being realistic about what you want and also how long it's going to take. Um, new jobs don't typically happen overnight. And also be realistic that you're not necessarily going to land the perfect job. Every job has its ups and downs. Um, that's why when I think about job seekers, you know, I, I think we like to think of job seekers as this big group that's collectively out there. Yeah. But, you know, one day I could be a job seeker. I could just be like, I don't like my job anymore. I want to be a job seeker. I love my job, though, if all my bosses are listening. Um, <laughs> but, like, you know, it, one person could just say one day, you know, I, I want to move on. And they're suddenly a job seeker. And then the next day they're not because they love their job again. Um, so be realistic about what what job you want, what it's going to be like. Um, study your um you know, you, uh, the companies before you do the interviews, know the culture, know um, maybe some of the pluses and minuses of working there, talk to uh, employees who are there, um, make sure that um, you're doing a Google search on yourself to make sure that your LinkedIn is up to par, um, that wherever you have maybe an online profile or your discoverable, that it's the story you want to tell employers. I think a lot of people don't realize that they need to do that. And also know your audience. So if you are applying to a stuffy law firm, um, you know, don't um, try and, you know, do wacky cover letters or something like that if you don't think it's going to fly there. Um, and just sort of make sure you're, um, you're telling the story you want and also that you're telling it in the way that will be receptive to the person on the other side. Um, for recruiter tips, I think, um, I think it's really important to be empathetic to people um, because we, we often see that there's the idea of ghosting where you don't hear from uh, the person that happens on both sides. So either the candidate, all of a sudden they don't hear from the recruiter or the hiring manager. And then all of a sudden the recruiter and hiring manager complain because uh, they were stood up for an interview or they never heard back from someone they offered a position to. Um, and that really goes for job seekers too. just be empathetic, have grace. you never know what the other side's going through. Um, also, make sure you're tracking what you're doing. So, you know, make sure you're keeping diversity in mind um, because I think, you know, that is always top of mind at the beginning of a search that they want diverse slates of candidates, but make sure you're actually following through with that on the other side. So make sure you're, you're keeping track of all those metrics because, you know, it's not just enough to have um, you know, a, a diverse slate of candidates, you actually have to be hiring that to make sure you're, you're changing um, the makeup of your organization and that is reflective of your customers or the people you serve. Um, and then also make sure that the people you hire have the ability to move up. Um, because I, I think there are some companies where you have people who just recruit for for certain levels. So you yeah. recruit for mid-level managers, low-level managers, just rank and file workers, and then the C-suite. But people internally don't move up. And I think that's something that companies 
are going to have to focus on if they want to attract people, because like we said, um, people want to grow in their careers, so they need to see a path for themselves. I, I agree. I read um I read a job uh, a book called The Inside Gig a while ago, and it was great. And it was basically telling companies you have no idea of all the untapped talent you have within your talent if you're not giving them all of these opportunities to move up or move horizontally within the organization. Yes. Um, so Andrew, it was great having you. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Um, and thank you everyone for tuning in to the Future of Work podcast by allwork.space. Remember that you can tune in on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. New episodes are released every Thursday. Thank you. If it's impacting the future of work, it's in the Future of Work podcast by allwork.space. Are you ready?